Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 69. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Smith, and I'm here with... Christopher Russell. Hello, hello. And it is Wednesday, June 12th. We got up real early this morning. The sun is up here a little after 4 a.m. this time of year. So uh, I woke up to like full light at about 4.15 and couldn't go back to sleep. So I figured it was a good time to make a thermos of coffee and sit down with a notebook and come up with some good ideas for this podcast. Um, We've had some warm weather. We've had a heck of a lot of bugs. Last night it was about 41 degrees, so they all went to bed, thankfully. Yeah. Rainy kind of gross day yesterday um so we kind of got a reprieve from them while it was raining but towards the end of it they came out pretty hard in the evening and what were you saying you did last night that you uh, i made a stupid again? decision so black flies and mosquitoes are attracted to heat and carbon dioxide and i was like oh it's a little chilly and i'm wet i'll light a fire in the stove in my tent and then as soon as the rain stopped i looked up and the sort of ceiling of the tent was full of black flies that were just waiting for me to step outside of my bug bug net. So I didn't. Um, And then they all went to sleep and and they're still not up yet. No, not yet. They will be though. Yeah, soon. (laughs) Soon, soon, soon. Our topic for today is how to choose a wilderness education program. And that could be, you know, a weekend survival course or a full-on semester immersion program Um, and we've just got some ideas after having doing this a bunch of times that uh, hopefully will help you or maybe somebody you know choose the correct program for them Um, so we've got three items with regards to uh, student self-reflection and then 10 items on how to evaluate a school and see if it would be a good fit so to start with um, I just want to say we here at the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School hate surprises and that doesn't mean like surprise parties what that means i do hate those does anybody really like those i don't know they always look like they're so much fun on like 70s tv sitcoms but they never are i've never been ah to a 70s that's my approach i always get wind of the surprise parties that are planned for me and then i just don't go so what i'm referring to when i say we hate surprises is i don't ever want anybody to show up here for a jack mountain bushcraft school program and then be like wait this this isn't what i signed up for you know i thought i was going to learn how to make balloon animals and here we are swinging axes and lighting fires in the woods so that's why one of the reasons why we have a big uh information filled 
website because I want people to know to the best that I can do exactly what they're getting into. Because, you know, it, it just, if they're, if people show up and it's not what they thought they were going to do, they're not happy. And then and nine weeks is a long time to be not happy. Nine weeks is an incredibly long time yeah. to be not happy. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So in the, with the idea of minimizing surprises or hopefully eliminating them, um, you know, here are some things to think about if you're considering a program uh, with us or with, really with anybody. I think this, the, the points that we're going to make here are pretty universal. So let's start with the student. You know, from the student's perspective, here's a, a person who's thinking about going on a long-term or even short-term wilderness program um, or really any educational program. So three things. Number one, I think that you should identify your interests. So to use the uh, outdoor program thing, are your interests uh, more, say, um, bushcraft? Are they more, you know, hardcore survival? Are they more mountaineering? Are you more interested in nature study? Uh, you know, balloon animals. Balloon animals. Uh, I think the clown college would cover all that. I wish there was one of those. I'd leave. You wish? I'd there's, leave this job several. in a heartbeat. There are several of okay, those. Okay. Well, I guess I'm. The leaving. big one is in Sarasota, Florida. Okay, I'm not going to Florida. Okay, it sounds hot. Um, it is hot. And buggy. Yeah. So identify your interests. So, for example, say if someone is interested in, um, what would be a good example here? If someone is really interested in trekking through the desert southwest, you know, for example, coming to Maine and going on one of our programs would probably not be a great fit for that interest just because yeah. we're not in the desert southwest. <laughs> we don't have deserts. <laughs> we, we don't have a whole lot of sand. Well, uh, there is the the main the desert of Maine. The desert of Maine, a and tourist like, attraction down near Freeport. Yep, and it's like what twenty yards long, if that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you you can trek across that after one of our programs, I think. Yeah. So one, identify your interests. Number two, be clear about your goals. You know, what do you hope to get out of participating in a program? You know, are you looking to get professional training? Is it just a hobby? Uh, is it personal development? Are you looking for, say, a semester away from where you're going to college? Are you interested in a gap year? Um, so, you know, all these things will result in different outcomes depending on what your goals are and yeah. maybe choosing a different school. And Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if you're, um, you know, we said personal development and professional training, and I think part of that is like, what what is your goal for when you're done with this course? If it's personal development, maybe your life doesn't drastically change after you go back. You just have sort of a, a better understanding of, um, you know, like a hobby or something along those lines. And or just a really yeah. cool life experience. Exactly. Like I want to take five months off and go do something yeah. that's totally different from my life. And that's great. That's and there awesome. are programs that'll feed that. But if you're looking to, when you're done with a program, start working in the outdoor industry, that should affect how you, how you choose the school you go to. Definitely. Um, because yeah, if you're going to one that's offering, you know, guide training or professional outdoor training, you know, something like Knowles or Outward Bound, um, you know, that, that potentially they have, there are systems in place with a lot of these programs to help you develop as an outdoor educator or guide afterwards. Whereas some of them, maybe it's just a, a hobby thing that, and yeah. that's fine. Or just but, a cool expedition. Like yeah, I'm going to go yeah. sea kayak 
the Sea of Cortez by the Baja Peninsula for a month. Exactly. Because it's going to be awesome and I just want to do it. And go and do it. But Definitely yeah, go do it. Yeah, we're, I, I don't want this to seem like we're trying to say one is better than the other, but you, it's something that a student should think about before they come yeah, up here. Be clear about your goals. Yeah. And lastly, I think you need to be clear about the amount of time and resources that you want to invest. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a hobby in something and, you know, it's a whole different animal for me to throw the kayak on top of the truck and drive down and spend a weekend paddling the coast of Maine versus flying to Mexico and going to the Sea of Cortez for a month. You know, you just think that how much time are you going to put into this? You know, and I think that's a that'll be a big factor in, in choosing a program. So just to recap the three things for a potential student to think about, identify your interests, be clear about your goals, and be clear about the time that you want to invest. So now that same student is starting to look at uh, all the potential programs that they could go participate in, probably online, probably, uh, you know, using Google or search engines to find what they're looking for. Um, So this is the point where I say, there are there is a wide variety of outdoor programming. There are no industry or government regulations. So with that in mind, let the buyer beware. Definitely do your homework, you know, yeah. Google the school, get the instructor's name, find out some background information on them. There are some shady characters in this industry. Uh you know, people with really questionable backgrounds, uh, you know, run-ins with the law, all those things. But, you know, it <laughs> you kind of got to dig to find that stuff, right? They're not going to put it on the front page of their flashy website. Yeah. And we can all, you know, anybody listening to this could hire a web developer and in a couple of days have a super flashy website that's going to make them look fantastic. So I guess don't be swayed by the, you know, by the... Don't judge the book by its cover, to use a bad colloquialism. Anybody can look great online. You know, do your research, dig pretty deep. The longer you're going to be with this person or school, the more due diligence that you should perform in finding out as much as you can about them, right? Just for your own personal well-being, your own personal safety. And we all hate to find out after the fact, like, you know, I went to... uh, Let's say I went to a new restaurant and then after the fact, I find out that the the person who runs the restaurant has all these questionable, shady things in their background. Like it just it just bugs me that, you know, I didn't know that before because it would have definitely influenced my choice to go there in the first place. Yeah, And there are a lot of um, there are a lot of resources online for, you know, talking to people that have been involved with these schools and stuff and you can get a good uh you know, alumni of schools or, you know, if they're or even really, employees. Yeah, right? or even employees. What was that one you said? Glass? Glassdoor. Uh, Glassdoor is a great one. Um, it's you know, a, it's a website. Yeah, it's a website that you can go to uh-huh. and look into sort of like in, former employees or current employees reviews of a place that they've worked. So, you know, maybe you... And this is even for after you've done a program and you're getting into the industry, like do research on the people you want to go work for and know a little bit about what you what you're getting into. Yeah, for sure. Because often, you know, because like, we're shady as hell, <laughs> like you don't I mean, whoa, if we you know, if you work in like New York City yeah. for eight hours a day and then at the end of the day, you clock out and there's 80 million other people yeah. around and like 60 million distractions. That's a different animal than if you're working in like a remote place or guiding a long-term trip or being a participant on it. There's no clocking out. You're stuck with that small group of people. And if they make your skin crawl, 
because of something that about them, then it's just going to be a long and maybe not ideal experience. Yeah, it's a challenging them. thing to do. So yeah, the, the the only way to avoid that is doing your due diligence in the beginning. Do your research. Okay, yeah. so next one, location. So if you're interested in, as we kind of mentioned before, you know, with looking at a school, do you want this school to be in a rural area? Do you want it to be remote, kind of wildernessy? Do you want it to be adjacent to a big city? So there's lots of other cultural things to do, and maybe you could have a part-time job in the big city. So that's a, that's a factor that you want to think about, is, is where this place is. Number two, the length of the program. You know, if you're really uh, just getting into a new hobby and you're trying to figure out if it's for you, maybe don't sign up for a full-on semester, you know, or, or even longer program right if you're just feeling yeah. it out the shorter the better the less in the less investment you have in time and money and gear to to make this thing happen um you know the better i mean we have had in the past not very often and it hasn't happened for a number of years but we've had people who signed up for our nine-week course and then they got here and were like yeah you know i've never really camped out before and then after a week they're kind of like no nah, i don't think this is for me yeah <laughs> and it's just you know we that that it, it's bad on every side right we don't want them to be unhappy we want people to be happy we don't want any surprises so yeah you know, it's not a great idea to like learn if you like to swim or not by having somebody throw you into the ocean the middle which of the ocean is actually how I learned to swim as a kid. Really? Yeah, my grandma kind of a sadist. Huh. Um, just threw no you right lie. in? She just threw me off the boat. Huh. Figure it out. That's pretty good. Yep. But I didn't like it, is what I'm saying. It's not a good, it's not a good approach to, uh, yeah, to finding out if you enjoy something. I don't really remember this. I have a vague recollection, but I was like two or three, and I fell off the dock into the water. No life jacket. Yeah. It was the 70s. No, we didn't. Like, what safety equipment? <laughs> so my brother ran up. My older brother uh, ran up, got my dad, who came and grabbed me out of the water. But yeah. I think that was my first thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Falling in the water within an inch of death. <laughs> Perfect. And that, safety last. That exact day was the day the safety shorts were born as an idea in your head, I'm safety sure. Safety last. You would have been fine if you'd been wearing a pair of blazon shorts. Yeah, for sure. Okay, back to our list. Back. Bad tangent. Bad. I'm sorry. Okay, course format. Uh, you know, what is the format of the course that you're going to participate in? Is it full-time? Is it part-time? Do you want to live on site? Do you want to live in a tent? Do you want to live down the road in an apartment? Do you want to commute from the city to the place the, the, the course is? So, yeah, the format of the course is going to be hugely, hugely important. Um, yeah, and it'll affect, it'll affect um, you know, your sort of balancing different things there. If you're living on site, there's a good chance that um, you're getting you're getting stuff out of it that you wouldn't if you were coming and going. But living on site comes with, you know, not having a on occasion, not having like a bug free place to go to or, it, you know, a temperature controlled place that you can just kind of relax and sit down and turn that up. And if that's something that matters to you, it's worth considering because yeah, it's yeah, nine weeks of not having a place to get away from the bugs. If you're somebody that that's really bothers can stress people out for a sure lot. for sure and and just to touch on your point you know if you live if you're camping the entire time you know you learn things as a result of the experience that maybe you wouldn't learn any other way and Correct. maybe they're not uh a concrete uh you know parts of the course that are like instructed upon mm -hmm. maybe it's just as a result of living there so you know consider the the costs and benefits of long-term camping yeah um, uh, you know, when you're considering the course format. 
so, okay, next one is the philosophy of the school. You know, what, what are they all about sort of thing? And you can usually get that from websites, but I recommend talking to people, talking to the instructors, talking to alumni. You know, what are they all about? Is it, is it super serious? Is it, do they have sort of a more fun atmosphere? Are they, um, you know, do they have sort of an overarching philosophy? I know that there's a lot of, uh, um, cultural appropriation that goes on in the outdoor field where, you know, they will sort of take native ceremonies and things, um, and use them in a context that with no natives there. And, you know, some people really like that. Like that's a big part of like kind of the new age movement. Yeah. But you should know these things before showing up on site. Because uh, some people, us for example, we'll yeah. stay really far away from that. Yeah. And, and this isn't this isn't a value judgment at all. It's just saying that, you know, figure out, uh, maybe to go back to the student, but figure out where you stand on that. And, you know, how do you want uh, the, that program to kind of fit your needs? So if it's something you're for, then look for one that they do that. Yeah. And bigger picture, just general philosophy uh, of, you know, education and things of that nature. I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, how they, a lot of times from that philosophy, you can get a sense for how they're going to approach day-to-day issues. Um, you know, some courses, you know, a lot of modern outdoor ed, they're very sort of like team building focused. And um, that's kind of the, that's kind of the root of everything they do. Whereas with us, you know, it, it just happens naturally. So we, um uh, we don't spend as much time focusing on like having a morning circle and stuff like that. But if that's something that you get value from um, is being part of the community that you're with, you should look into schools that do that and, and, and pursue them. No question. Yeah. And I think it, you know, it, whereas some schools are all about process and, you know, interpersonal communication, interpersonal relations with nature as a backdrop for yes. that. Whereas others are, let's imagine it's 10,000 BC and we're going to go native. And if we can grunt at each other, that's enough. So those are two ends of the spectrum with sort of the communication team building. Um, But again, you know, find the one that fits what you're looking to do. We only communicate by telekinesis or no telepathy. Tim's reading my thoughts right now. That's how we're communicating. Yeah. He's swearing at me. Well, telekinesis is I pick up the uh, marker with my mind and write on the whiteboard. I screwed up that joke. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Mea culpa. Next point is the experience of the school and instructors. Outdoor schools have seen a huge growth in the last 10 or 15 years, much of it coinciding with the rise of reality TV. You know, someone... It looks like, uh, like we talked about in a recent one, it looks really idyllic from the outside. Um, And someone sees, uh, you know, somebody on TV and maybe they had a woodsy upbringing and thinks, I could do that. But, you know, I think ultimately you need to really research um, history of the school and definitely history of the instructors. So things to to ask about is how long have they been doing what they're doing? Um, you know, are they seasoned professionals versus aspiring professionals or hobbyists looking to monetize their hobby? And I think that's an important thing. And if it's, you know, I had somebody email me a couple of years ago and they were looking at a school and asking me if I'd ever heard of them. And I said I hadn't and then looked up their website and they were planning to run their first long term program then this person was interested if they should go take that long-term program and i said well you know there are definitely going to be growing pains yeah 
as they sort of figure things out. And, you know, I look back to the first couple of long-term programs we run and, you know, amazed that, that uh, we're able to, to, to pull it off. Yeah, so it's, speak, uh, right? yeah. You learn so much by doing it. And so much of what you think is it's going to be like when you actually get in the field and are running the program, it's, Sometimes the polar opposite. Yeah. Well, I mean, and this is what, semester 40-something? 40 47. 47. And we're still, I mean, every every night, Tim and I are in, in here in the guide shack saying, okay, maybe maybe we try it this way next time. Maybe there's... So I would only imagine that if it's the first one, that's like a constant... Um, yeah, if you're pretty new to this, you're still... You're working out some kinks, for yeah. sure. Or, you know, the other potentially less desirable... Um, outcome would be that they're just very dogmatic and feel like they have it all figured out and, and, and aren't willing to self-assess when there are issues that come up. So, you know, how long have they been doing it? I guess along the same line, do they have any reviews? Do they have alumni you could speak with? You know, do people leave them glowing reviews or not? And, you know, it's it's the internet, so those can sometimes be dubious. What was there was one guy who's going to release a book? What was his name? I can't remember his name. One of like the sort of the darlings of the business book world, right? And he released a book and within like two hours of it being officially available for sale, he had like 500 positive glowing reviews on Amazon. So so he bought the reviews is what I'm saying. Oh. So I don't think that's... Why don't we do that? I don't know. Because we couldn't figure it out. I don't know. Like we have the Google reviews yeah. and we have good Google yes, reviews. But um, no one's been able to leave us a Google review for like a year and a half. So I contacted Google, and they're always like, "Oh, the problem isn't on our end." And I'm like, "Well, it sort of is, but yeah." Um, but anyway, so it's it's annoying trying to deal with them because they are not they unless you're sending them billion yeah. dollar checks, they don't care. Yeah, that's my that's my take, my opinion. Not uh, I would agree with you. Else. I would agree with you. <laughs> so um, so along the lines of schools and instructors, still is do the instructors have any certifications? You know, for us. To be an instructor here, one has to have uh, become a registered main guide, which is a state license. And I think, uh, you know, other things, medical certifications, you know, are they recognized by any, any other entities? Um, but this is also a slippery slope of like people listing like I was, you know, class president in the eighth grade. Yeah. And so, the th yeah. And so to that, I think that it if they have certifications listed, look at the look at like what that means. Don't just say, oh, I'm certified in this. Look at what like the test, if there's a testing process for that certification. Yeah. Um, you know, the main guide exam comes with like a, an, F, an FBI background check that, you know, they fingerprints, all that stuff. Look into that stuff. If, if, um, if the organizations or entities that are giving them these certifications have a, have a pretty in-depth uh, process and a good track record for how they're going about this, that means more to me than if I got... You know, I got my medical degree from like Joe's college down in Freeport. Note to self, take Joe's medical college down in Freeport <laughs> off of my <laughs> bio. Well, I just, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He doesn't even call himself Dr. Joe. It's just Joe. Yeah. How's that guy given medical degrees? If, That's what I want to know. If they have been called the greatest instructor ever <clears throat> by the National Association of People Who Hand Out Superlatives Way Too Easily, that should be a red flag. Yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> bad tangent. Bad. 
so, but and I think like if <laughs> yeah. you were going to go attend a university too, you'd want to know where yeah. your professor had studied. Exactly. So things, you know, do they have any formal study in the field? You know, have they taken a guide training class? Yeah. Have they taken a long term? bushcraft or outdoor living course yeah if so where did they study exactly you know, so earlier like we had said you know there's no like regulation for this industry but um this is probably the closest thing there is to that is that the if you're looking at how they've you know how they've sort of improved themselves and, and gotten a, a check off if those organizations are checking them off and they are sort of respectable then that's that's probably the closest you're going to get to like a regulation of instructors and in yeah, definitely industry. it's word of mouth yes exactly it is word of mouth so yeah. ask around you know yep. where where did you learn where did you study what's your experience um and i think uh two last things number one would be you know are they a practitioner of what they're teaching so are they like a practitioner of canoeing or bushcraft or are they an educator like if you're signing up to be educated and someone's uh, just claims their experiences they like to make friction fires that doesn't mean in any way shape or form that they're going to be good at instructing you to do so so i think drawing a clear distinction between someone who is a practitioner or enthusiast of something versus someone who is an educator of that same field you know that's a really important distinction if you're going to go take a course you know where you're trying to learn something um, and lastly, with looking at the experience of the schools and instructors, you know, there are a lot of people that list all sorts of certifications they've had. And this kind of goes back to our previous point. But, you know, I think it's important to consider the transferability of other uh, certifications and cited work. You know, for example, we work with a lot of military people here at the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We've been working with the Veterans Administration for a long time now, I don't know, seven or eight years um, and we've, you know, spoken with a lot of military guys from a variety of different MOSs in the military. So, um, you know, my point is if someone is using their military experience, for example, as proof that they know what they're doing as an outdoor educator, and, you know, maybe they were a tank mechanic or something, you know, saying they were in the U.S. Army, the U.S. Marines, Navy, Air Force, uh, whatever, definitely carries some weight in this industry because yeah. there are a lot of super well-trained people that come out of there in a variety of different jobs. But that's not to say that it's a blanket, you know, saying that someone was in the military is not a blanket statement of their competence as an outdoor educator. Yeah. So for example, if I were a, you know, a uh, diesel mechanic working on tanks, I don't know, or say if I'm a fighter pilot, you know, knowing how to fly a plane doesn't, doesn't make it me better at teaching, instructing outdoors. So yeah, just, uh, you know, be wary of the transferability of other cited work and certifications. So so that was a long one, the experience of the school yeah. and instructors. Well, I think it's important. I think that, that, I mean, that's the person that's your window into this world. And if you don't do a lot of, uh, yeah, if you don't do a lot of research on them, there's a chance it's, uh, you know, maybe it's not a good fit when you get there. And that's what Definitely. we're trying to avoid here. Avoid surprises. Yeah. Next point, the course curriculum. You know, what are you going to learn at this school? And does it align with your goals? Um, you know, and is it is it something that's been developed over time? Is it sort of a shoot from the hip and take advantage of teachable moments? Or is there a big overarching picture of what the information and body of knowledge that is trying to be conveyed? And I think the, the distinction is, is good. I think it's important yeah. to know like, hey, this is what we're trying to accomplish and here's how we're going to go about it versus we're just going to kill time until the allotted time we have together is up um, with, you know, sort of 
you being entertained or edutainment, if you will. Yeah, the... and I, I think it's also important to, I mean, you know, you're talking about the shoot from the hip versus um, like a well-maintained thing. It's also important when you're doing um, that first part, like that self-assessment of what you want from a course is understand how how you learn best. Like think about that and uh, and approach the courses that way. If, if something that's pretty like, uh, I don't know, free form will work for you better than one that's like rigid and structured. And structured. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Look for that. Um, you know, I don't think there's very many schools that are totally one way or the other, but I'm sure they exist. And I think that it's important to look for that. And, you know, I think most people probably fall somewhere in the middle, but if what you know, about you... the, the, uh, whiteboard and PowerPoint Academy of bushcraft <laughs> of anything. Uh, yeah. It's... So if that works for you, that sounds so awful. You are kind of my worst nightmare. <laughs> um, but if it does work for you, Maybe find a school that does it that way. I can't personally say that I think you would learn a lot of the skills well that way. Right. um, There's a big difference between talking about it and doing it. Yeah, exactly. But it's worth knowing that if you're more cerebral and that's how you'll understand the concepts and there's a school that leans that way and then lets you do it, that's that's worth thinking about, I think. Right. Thinking about, I think. Right. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Next topic is an assessment system. You know, does the school have an assessment assessment system? Do they hold people accountable? Um, do they monitor their progress and document the learning? Or is it more of a show and tell uh, sort of thing? So most short courses, I think, are more, at least with us, shorter the course, the more it is a show and tell. The longer the course, the more the assessment system uh, comes in. So it's important to note that, you know, telling people something and demonstrating things is not the same as setting up situations where learning takes place. Yeah. And, and it's, it's awkward, uh, as an instructor, we're used to through our educational system that most of us had as kids, we're used to thinking education, whiteboard Academy. Yeah. Well, that's where the person who knows, AKA the teacher stands in front of everybody else and tells them what they're supposed to know. And, you know, that sort of transmission model of education is not super successful. No. It's, it's just not. Um, you know, setting up situations where learning takes place is very successful. Um, yeah. And I think it also with the assessment system, it's worth looking at um, how, you know, if this assessment system is something they're using to hand out certifications, it's worth looking at how... Um, how tough that certification is to get. If it's something where everybody comes through and gets it and you really want to be professional, maybe that's not the one for you. Maybe you want one that is really going to push you and not everybody that comes through gets it. And I think that that, yeah, look, you, if you want something that's hard, look for something that's hard. If you don't, don't worry about it, but be, be wary of how the assessment systems take place and how certificates are given. Yeah. Professional training shouldn't be based on getting a participation trophy. He showed up. He's a good guy. Yeah. We'll give him a, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I, 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 they call that social promotion. Yeah. We don't, yeah, we don't social, we don't social promote. Um, we don't even social promote each other ever, but (laughs) it's worth, um, yeah, it's worth, it's worth thinking about that. If you're somebody that's super driven and you want to work hard, find one that's going to make you work hard, not give you a pat on the back for showing up. Well, also if you want it to mean something down yeah. the road, right? If it's like, if it's a, if it's a participation mm-hmm. trophy, here's the cert, it's rubber stamped. Sure. It's going to mean nothing 
to you or to anybody else. Like, well, how hard was this thing to get? Yeah. And, well, I showed up for the weekend. Yeah. And, I, and I've taken courses like that and learned a lot. Well, but we it's took not that. We took yeah. that uh, first aid class. Together. Yeah, exactly. We took this. Ugh, oh, God. We, we took a weekend first aid class just to, just re- to research for the guide licenses. And uh, it was it was like 180 bucks. Yep. We were there for like six hours. You showed up. There was a woman there kind of running the course for this organization that sold yeah. the course. She was very talented. Yeah. Working EMT, knew but, what she was but doing. But we showed up and she's like, okay, here's how it's going to run. If you leave more than 20 minutes early, you don't get the card at the end of the day. Yeah. And then we would sit there and watch these videos on like what we needed to a know. PowerPoint. We watched a PowerPoint for six hours. Yeah, it was a PowerPoint uh, video. And uh. then after the PowerPoint, her job at, as to being there was like, okay, do you have any questions? And if nobody said anything, she'd start the next video. Yep. I'm like, this is this is awful. I'm learning. <laughs> at one point I looked over and this so this was also a uh, uh, a pediatric CPR as well. And at one point I looked over and Tim was looking up in the air and had one finger on the dummy <laughs> of the baby and just like don't call my baby. Uh, <laughs> I could see it in his face. Just this like, I'm so bored. Yeah. But yeah. the dummy lived though. It did. It did. Staying alive. <laughs> so That's a CPR joke. Yeah. Isn't it the staying alive is the, yeah, the that, song that you're supposed to do the cadence It was a good joke. Impression. It was a good. Well, you need to explain it. How do people know? I don't. Oh. Yes. Staying Alive is the cadence. The song Staying the, Alive by the Bee Gees. Yes, is the beat that you use for um, chest, compressions chest compressions when you're con- yeah. doing CPR. So, yeah. And who do you do CPR on? Dummy babies. Dead people. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it is that's accurate. It, it is, is accurate. I like that line because it's memorable. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm going to remember it. Well, if someone's like alert and aware and you go to do CPR and they're going to sue you for assault. <laughs> I like the idea of just approaching somebody. Can I do CPR on you? No, stop. Don't touch me. In the real world, you break ribs. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then the person knocked me down and compressed my chest and one of my ribs broke. And like, yeah, you're going to jail. I was just having a nap. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So assessment systems. Yeah. Look into them. Look at how tough they are to get. Make your decisions based on that. So the next topic is religion and spirituality. Yeah. Is it part of the course? Is it, you know, part of the philosophy of the school? You know, is it more like they want you to sort of uh, believe what they believe? Is it more that they are using, uh, you know, different philosophies to, to drive home points? Do they stay way away from that whole topic? Um and again, this isn't a value-based no. thing that there's, you know, there's some place for everybody. So, you know, a religious-based outdoor pro- program would be great for some students. It would be a perfect mm-hmm. fit. For others, it would be a huge turnoff. So another part of, you know, doing your research, doing your due diligence is, is there a religious or spirituality aspect to the program? Yeah. And like we said earlier, I mean, like Tim said, it's not a value thing, but for the most part, if they're co-opting something that they don't really, that isn't theirs. That is a value thing. That, that is, is a value misappropriation thing. I would say culture. avoid those that's a, a lot. That's a, that's, made, that's a huge anti-value thing. It's terrible. Thing Absolutely. But I mean, like certain, like if it's a Christian-based program. Yeah, 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 of course. Like, you know, things like that. That's right. It's exactly what some people yes. are looking for. And that's great. But if it's something that they're, if they're making, if they're using someone else's spirituality to make money, maybe avoid that program. That's a little, like we talked about some shady characters. 
Chief Great White Hope, who's yeah, exactly. showing up from the suburbs with his uh, yeah, feather headdress. Exactly. And... <laughs> There's a feather boa wrapped around his head. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Maybe maybe avoid those ones. Maybe. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to judge anybody, but But you know, as an example where this would be a positive thing, we have an alumnus who is working at a uh summer camp for uh Jewish youngsters this year. Yeah. And you know, I think that's a great thing. Yeah, like, exactly. There are certain exactly. things that are, you know, if it, if it works with a with a um subculture, great. Yeah. Because it's exactly what many people are looking for. Yeah. Uh So the last quest, the last thing about uh schools um, that'll kind of wrap this whole up is that it's not a competition between schools. I wrote a blog post about this a while ago, but the idea that certain schools will sort of advertise that we're number one, you know, we're the best. And, um, but you know, it's just not a competition. You know, if it were a competition, let, let's use the analogy of a race, you know, in order for someone to win the race, we have to agree. Like if you and I were going to have a running race, we would have to agree on starting point, ending point, rules of the race, you know, all those things. So then, like, if we were competing on the same playing field and you made it to the finish line before I did, you would be clearly the winner. But I don't, I really know of no two outdoor schools that are sort of competing on the same playing field. You know, they all have different methods, different goals, different interning, uh, different uh, intended learning outcomes different end results. So, you know, to, to, to follow the race analogy, like imagine, imagine there were 50 people all in different locations, running different distances at different times. How would you determine who's the winner? And that's sort of what it looks like to me when people are saying, Oh, we're number one, we're the greatest. It it just doesn't make any sense. It's, it's irrational and and silly. Um, So beware the sort of self-promotional we're number one guy. The, the marketing thing that they're trying to, to take advantage of is called social proof. So if everybody agrees that someone's number one, it, it demonstrates social proof and they get some marketing mojo out of it. But uh, again, different, different yeah. race course, different distance, different day. It doesn't work. It's not a race. There's no, you know, we're not all on the same playing field. We're not uh, trying to accomplish the same things. And therefore, it can be difficult to compare. If that weren't the case, then we wouldn't have to do this podcast because you could just Google who's number one and go to them and go to them. But, you know, because there are so many different factors, it mm-hmm. just doesn't make any sense for people to sort of crow about we're, we're number one or we're the best. We're number seven. <laughs> and I'm sticking to that. Uh, Barrett Kudelski's number one. Yeah, Barrett any, Kudelski's number one. Anybody who knows anything about this industry knows that uh, Barrett Kudelski from the Full Tang Bushcraft School and Full Tang Expeditions, he's, known throughout the industry and the world as the Barracuda. He's something. Is number one. He's something. Because he starts every conversation by saying, I'm number one in a really loud voice. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really know where to go with that one. So let's recap real yeah. quick. So if you're a student, you need to identify your interests, be clear about your goals, and be clear about the time that you want to invest. And if you're a student trying to evaluate schools, you need to uh, think about their location, the length of the program, the course format, whether it's full or part-time, or you live there or you live nearby. You need to evaluate the experience of the school and the instructors. You need to think about the course curriculum and how that would help you achieve your goals. 
You need to think about the assessment system they have, and especially if it leads towards a certification. Uh, You need to consider if they have a religious or spirituality aspect to their program. And you need to be really careful looking at the people who are crowing about how they're number one. And lastly, probably most importantly, do your due diligence. You know, do a lot of research on the school, find out who the instructor of the program, instructors, plural, do a lot of research about them because you don't want to be halfway through the program and then all of a sudden, hey, I just found out this bad thing about this person that I've... Yeah, so sort of a good, good rule of thumb, right? Maybe you spend at least... Half the length that the course will be research. You know, if you're if you're thinking about something that's let's say it's twelve weeks long, maybe six weeks you're doing research just because that like at, all day every day six no, weeks. No, but six weeks at minimum six weeks out. Fifteen doing, hours a day. <laughs> you get my point. Yeah, yeah, dude, dude. Yeah, I was I was trying to help back up your point. I know. Now I just that's what I do. I need more coffee now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, and from experience we had somebody on one of our longer canoe expeditions one year who had previously taken a program with an outdoor school and i think two-thirds of the way through it was revealed to this person that the person leading that other program had some really yeah. shady stuff in their background yeah so they uh yeah kind of ruined it for him yeah so, so it's worth doing that looking into your, stuff. your diligence Find, you know, find out. Yeah. So that, so that, uh, to avoid surprises. Especially surprise parties. Just to circle all the way back to the beginning. I know? won't even go to Chuck E. Cheese anymore. That's because you beat up the mascot and they won't let you back. Well, I thought anything goes in the ball pit, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay. That's probably. Yeah, let's wrap this up. Yeah, one. let's do it. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review or, or spread it around a bit. Uh, Thank you for spending this time with us, and we hope that you guys have a great day. Mm -hmm. We'll see you in the ball pit. You have been listening to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. For more information on our professional wilderness guide training programs that are college accredited and GI Bill approved, visit us on the web at jackmtn.com.